tonight, um, we're going to carry on with the uh, a second part of a, a series that we started last week. Uh, last week, we started a series called Starting Point. Uh, it's loosely based on something that um, Andy Stanley has. So if you listen to his, it'll be somewhat different, but similar, um, <clears throat> similar in progression. So would, I'd want to encourage you to, uh, to check out um, his stuff online. You can find it at North Point Church or uh, uh, yourmove.is uh, or just Google Andy Stanley Starting Point. You'll find it. Um, but we've been talking about it here. We've kind of Kingswayified it a little bit. We've, uh, last week we talked about uh, the fact that everything has a starting point. You have a starting point. Your marriage had a starting point. Your career had a starting point. And somewhere in your life, your faith, what you believe about God uh, or what you believe um, uh, about spirituality had a starting point somewhere. Maybe it was offered to you as a child. You know, your parents gave it to you and said, here, here's some things you should believe. Uh, we talked last week about the idea of, of you know, the Bible says um, some different things, and that may have been where, where your um, foundation or where your starting point is. This series is all about that, the starting point. It's all about the foundation. It's not necessarily about everything you build onto it after that, but about where things start at. Um, for us here as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that the Bible, the whole thing, is, is inspired by God. We believe that He moved on people's hearts to write out the words that are in this text. But there are a lot of people on our, uh, in, our, in our culture who don't believe that. They don't think that, that this is anything more than a bunch of stories and fairy tales. So last week we talked about there's more reasons than just the Bible says to believe in Jesus Christ. And we talked about, uh, about that uh, as well. Um, my, our question that we've been looking at is, where would you start um, if, if you didn't have the Bible stories, if you didn't have that in, in, your, in your culture? Maybe you didn't. Maybe you're here tonight. You're like, I've never heard anything out of that. It's all new to me. Most of us don't find ourselves in that place. But where would you start uh, a relationship with Jesus Christ? Where would you start and build a foundation of faith if you didn't have all of the Bible stories from the past? And we talked about that last week. We talked about you start your, the starting point for our faith is based on a question. And the question is not, you know, um, is, uh, is God good or does God answer prayer or are all the Bible stories literal or why does bad things happen to good people? None of those things are the questions of where you start a, a relationship of faith with Jesus Christ. It is based on this one question and that is, who is Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? Uh, um, not just what did I believe growing up, but who do I say that he is now? We talked about a lot of times a starting point or a foundation as a kid uh, our foundation of faith, it doesn't hold up when we become adults. And that's something that we felt we need to, um, to talk about. And for some, for some here, you may feel like, I like how Adele mentioned that. I thought I knew about God. I thought I knew about me. But there was this moment of kind of a restart of like, hey, I want to show you who I really am. And for some, um, for some in this place, you might be in that spot where you're like, you need a restart to your faith. You're like, this faith I had as a child, it's just not, it, it, it hasn't held up. It's not important to me anymore. And you may need a restart uh, of that. And the questions that you can ask yourself to determine whether you do need a restart or, or not are these. Am I actively engaged in following Jesus Christ in my everyday life, or has it just become my weekend routine? Does it affect my everyday, or is it just my weekend routine? If it's a weekend routine, you may need a restart. Is Jesus just a fairy tale, kind of on the same level? Is this what I believe, that he's a fairy tale on the same level as Santa and the Easter Bunny? And, you know, it's a nice story. It's, um, or is it that you realize he's Lord of all and Lord of your life? If it's not Lord of all, if he's not Lord of all, Lord of your life, you may need a restart. Maybe you're here and you've, you, don't have a, you don't have a starting point for faith in your life. You're here looking for something. You're searching. 
And maybe for you, the questions are, you know, this feeling of something's missing in my life. I can't quite put a finger on it. This idea of everything I've tried to bring happiness into my life has just left me empty. And I'm looking for something. No matter where you find yourself, we've talked about the idea of, of finding a starting point. And so we want to talk a little bit about that tonight. And then we've got something that we're going to do um, um, at the end here, too, that I'm excited about. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach short tonight. Sh- shorter. All right. So here we go. We're just going to skip all of that so we can start now. That way it looks like it's really short on iTunes. All right. So here is, um, here's, here's a couple of thoughts that, that uh, I want to look at. If you're considering a restart um, for your faith journey, no matter what, what, it, what it is, you're going to come across uh, a little tiny word, uh, and this is it, sin. You're going to come across this word as you start thinking about um, faith in Jesus Christ and what you really believe. This is going to come up at some, uh, at some point. This is an interesting religious word, theological word, because we don't really use it in our everyday life. You know, unless you were kind of from the, from the religious tradition where you, you every week went and said, you know, he sat in a little box and looked through a window and said, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. It has been so long since my last confession. Otherwise, you probably didn't use this word. We don't use it in our everyday. We don't tell our kids, son, come in here. You've sinned against your mother and we have to talk. Your boss doesn't say, hey, you know, buddy, come on, and you, we got to talk. You've, uh, you've been sinning on the job site lately. You know, you have not been putting your full effort in. You know, the police don't pull you over and say, yes, um, you've sinned. You have broken the speed limit, and here's a sin citation. They don't, they don't do that, right? They, they, we just don't use that word. Um, and, and that's why um, the reason we don't is because we think of it, it's like, it's like a heavy word. The word sin, we don't see it as little like that. We see it like this. When you hear it, you're like, oh. It's like if you have to say the, the words, I've sinned, it's like, oh, I'm toast. You know, I'm done. Like, I am in big trouble now. If you, if, if you grew up um, around faith, that, that the word just holds such a heaviness. Why? Because there's like no wiggle room with this word, sin. It's like there's no like, well, it's, it's, it's kind of sin. There's no kind of sin. It's like, it's always like, it's black and white. It's like, it's sin. And we, 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 we don't like that word. We don't like it. It's just even like having it behind me, it feels like heavy. And you're like looking at it like, yeah, it's like, oh, uh, huge. You know, sin, this idea of I've sinned, is like looking at the mirror and going, that's the problem. I can't blame it on, well, my mom raised me that way. Well, my dad did this. You know, it's like, it's my counselor. It's something else. It's, it's nothing. It's like, I am the problem. Do anybody know any of those people who blame stuff on everybody else? Yeah, uh, I was thinking about this. I'm thinking, where's it? What's a good story to tell? And I remember um, uh, years back, I, I went to Wes and Angie's place and drove into their driveway and and I parked my car and I went in the house and then and then somebody I don't even remember who it was came um, came I think it was Terry Murphy came and um, she was visiting too so she parked behind me in the driveway I ran out and uh, hopped back in my car and I just backed up because there was no one behind me when I got there and I backed right up into their vehicle and I was like what. What are they doing parking behind me? It's a nice day. So I ran inside and I gave them heck. I'm like, who parked behind me? And they're like, what? I'm like, I just hit somebody's vehicle. And, you know, it's like it's their fault because they parked behind me. And they're looking at me like, you hit our, you hit our new vehicle? And, they, and all of a sudden it was like they thought it was my fault. And I'm like, it's, it's your fault for parking behind me. I've done it three times. So just so you know, <laughs> don't park behind me. I, oh, yeah. I also, yeah. 
Yeah, that wasn't my fault either. Okay, that, that happened like two weeks ago. I got out of my vehicle while it was still in drive. It wasn't moving, though. And then it moved again, and it ran into Tracy's command. So don't park in front of me either, okay? Don't park behind me. Don't park in front of me. It's your fault if you do it after this announcement, all right? So, but I thought about that, and I like, you know, they laugh at me to this day for it. It was years ago, and they bring it up like, oh, yeah, remember you thought it was everyone else's fault. But there's, you, you know people. Maybe you are that people who think everything is somebody else's fault. Well, that big word, sin, it's like, uh, it's like, okay, I, I can't really blame this on, on anyone else. But we don't like that word. We, so we've gotten rid of that word, and we use a different word. And it's this little word called mistake. We, we like that one a lot better because it doesn't feel as heavy. But that little tiny word, it's dangerous. It's an incredibly dangerous word. You know, you hear this and you think, well, what's dangerous about it? But for instance, have you ever seen where on the news somebody, a public figure, gets, you know, they, blew, they did something t- crazy. They, they've um, messed up their family, messed up their office, their job, messed up their country because of something that they did. They were, you know, cheating on their wife or embezzling money. And they get up and there's all these microphones in front of them and they stand there and they're like, ah, yeah, I have to admit I've made a few mistakes in my life. And you're looking at them and you're like, buddy, yeah, what you've done, that's not, that's not a mistake. You can't have like a four-year mistake. You, you, can't, you can't do that kind of stuff. We think that, you know, a mistake is what you do on a math test. A mistake is something you do on your income tax, you know, return. A mistake is like getting a tattoo like this. Yeah, I regret nothing either. That's like, that's like a mistake. That's where you're like, I would like to try and fix this. But, but this other stuff, we look at it and we go, mistake is not a good enough word to describe that. We, we, we know it. We're like, no, that's, when they do stuff like that bad, that's not a mistake. So now don't raise your hands because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But, but just if we did ask this question, if I just came in here and said today, all right, so how many of you have some mistakes in your past? I'm just going to do what you would do. You'd all put your hand up. Because none of you would look around and go, wow, you know, um, I don't have my hand up. And they're like, what, you perfect? No, of course you would all put your hand up and make sure, yes, we have mistakes. Then if I were to say, okay, how many of you have sins in your past? I'll just tell you. The front, no hands, it's okay. The front row, I'll tell you what they're doing. They're going to be sitting here and they'll be like, Oh, good, someone else, okay, you know. They're not going to just throw their hand up and be like, yeah, man, I'm a sinner, right here, right front. Because we have this thing about it. We're like, mistakes, yes, we think there's mistakes in our past. But the question is, were they really mistakes? If you think back to the things in your life, you look back and think, you know, um, were those mistakes? A mistake is an action or a judgment that was misguided or wrong. It's, it's this idea of I had insufficient knowledge, and that's why I made a mistake. It's when you write 2 plus 2 equals 5, and, then, and it's like, I just didn't know that the answer was 4. That, that's a mistake. But some of you, you look back at some of the mistakes in your life, and you, you knew what you were doing, and you did it. And you like to call that a, a mistake. For some of you, some of those mistakes, they were on purpose. You planned to do them. So when you look back and think, ah, it was a mistake, but how do you premeditate a mistake? How do you plan a mistake? Some, 
for some, the mistakes are made over and over and over again in your past. And you look back and like, yep, I've made a, that same mistake over and over and over again. What do you call somebody who makes a mistake over and over and over again? Mistaken. Yeah. But we look at it and we're like, were they really mistakes? Can we really call those things uh, mistakes? And that's why we say that little tiny word mistake, it's dangerous because of this. It makes you think things like this. Yeah, uh, it was, it's a mistake, but I'm really not that bad. Yes, I've made some mistakes. I'm not perfect, but who is? You know, I, that's a mistake. And what do we do with mistakes? We correct them. So when you look back and say, oh, I made some mistakes in my life, I can look back and go, yeah, I can correct those. They're not sin. They're, they're, mis- they're mistakes. The thing about mistakes is that we want to correct them. But the problem is that we can't correct us. We can't. We, we try. You've probably tried to self-correct things in your life. You've probably had your spouse or a family member try and correct you, uh, and it, it doesn't work. Your friends have tried, and they're not your friends anymore, uh, because this idea of you can't correct that. And the question is, why can't I fix myself? Why can't I fix me? If you're looking to, to restart, uh, you know, or, or build a foundation for your faith, there's this thought you have to ask yourself, and it's about this idea of self-correction. It's, you know, for instance, everybody's got one of those things. As I mentioned some of the mistakes in your past, and maybe when we got to the spot of saying sins in your past, you're like, uh, okay, you're thinking of something. And for all of, all of us, we have this thing back there somewhere that, you know, it's that thing that we think we can fix on our own. So for, maybe for you, it's like, you know, it's the, it's the drinking, but, you know, I, yeah, I drink too much, but, but I can fix that. Maybe it's smoking. Maybe it's stuff you're looking at on the internet. Maybe it's spending. You're like, no, I, I can have a budget. But, and then, and then you, you, you end up spending too much again. You, you um, shop more than you should. Uh, maybe it's eating. You're like, yes, I'm going to pass. You know, I'm not going to eat at McDonald's anymore. And you have a that. You're like, I, I am going to fix that in my life. Because it's that thing that, that I know. And you're, you know what happens? You start to, if you think it's a mistake... And you know it, especially if it's like McDonald's. You know like 20 minutes later, that was a mistake, right? you just like, oh, I'm never going to do that again. But you do it again. And, and why? There's this, e- there's this thing in us that even no matter what the that is, the drinking, whatever it, would, whatever it be, you start correcting, and you're like, yes, I'm doing it. You're like, I got 10 days. You know, it's this thought of, I, I, you know, I've been good. I haven't done that for 10 days, you know, or I haven't done that for, you know, three weeks or haven't done that for two months. And then this little voice in your head, even when you are trying to correct yourself, goes against you and says, yes, you haven't done that for 17 days. You owe yourself one. Right? And you're like, yeah, I owe myself one. And you would do something that you know hurts you. That you said, I don't want to do that anymore because I know it hurts me. And I can correct that mistake in my life. And yet something around comes in and says, uh, you know what? I owe myself one. It's like, I know it's going to hurt me, but you're right. I owe myself one. I'm going to do it. What is that? What is that about us? See, because I don't think mistake's the right word for that. You can't chalk all of that up to, ah, you know, nobody's perfect. Stupidity. You can't even chalk it up to that. You chalk it up to that word called sin, because we have it inside of us, this, this thing called sin. 
that we don't want to think about. But Jesus talked about it. And some of you are like, Mark, this is depressing. I know I'm smiling at your jokes, but inside I am, this is depressing. Don't worry. We're going to pick you up before we let you go. Matthew chapter 5, it says this. If you look at, if you look at um, what Jesus said about sin, he said, um, he said this in, in uh, Matthew 5. It's kind of in the middle. Verse 20. I'll give you a chance to get there. You there? Remember last week we just threw up random, like, made-up verses on the screen? I want you to know that I'm not doing that tonight. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 says, But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is talking to a group of people. This is a famous, famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And he says to them, If you are not more righteous than the best people that you know, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And they had all kinds of different thoughts about what the kingdom of hell might be, and, and they didn't want to go there, but they did want to go to this kingdom of heaven, and they're looking at it they're like, wait a second, there's two groups of people listening. There's ones who are not good, and they know it, and then there's this other group called the Pharisees who they think they are pretty good, and they know it. And so Jesus is talking to both groups, and he says to them, hey, to you guys who, you know, you're probably not that good, if you're not as good as these guys, you're not going to be getting into, uh, into heaven. And those guys are like, yeah, tell them, preach it, right? They're like, yes, Jesus, we agree. We know. And all the Pharisees were, were people who were paid to be good. They were paid to keep the law, paid to be good so that they'd be ceremonially clean and could offer sacrifices for all the non-good people. I'm sorry you sat on that side tonight. You should be led by the Spirit. You would have been sitting over here with the good people, right? So, the, yeah, the, the, but the Pharisees, their, their whole idea was they're like, yes, that's us. And we're like, yes, we're the ones. And then Jesus says, he doesn't stop there. He says, um, if, you're, if you're not as good as them, it's not good enough. But then he says to them in verse 21, he says, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. And they'd be like, yes, we have heard that. You must not murder. And Jesus, I have not murdered anyone. And he says, hold on, I'm done. He says in verse 21, he says, if you um, commit murder, you're subject to judgment. They're like, yes, well, that's right, but we're not because we have not committed any murder. He's like, hold on, I'm not done. He says, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. And they're like, okay, hold on, what do you mean by that? And he says to them, if you play out the scenario in your head that you are angry at someone, that you are seething on the inside, that you play out this idea of revenge. You're not going to do it because you're not that kind of person. But in your head, you are whooping their butt. You are like bringing them to the inch edge of death uh, in, in your mind. You're just taking out the revenge. He says, you know what? Because you played that whole scenario out in your mind, you're guilty of judgment. You're guilty of the same judgment of, as, of murder. And they're like, okay, hold on a second. That's a little harsh. And then Jesus said, well, I'm not done. He goes on in verse 27. You got to skip a few verses. He says, you've heard it, um, the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Like, yes, Jesus, we have not done that. And then he says, yeah, I'm not done. He says, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I'm like, what? And they're like, okay, Jesus, hold on a second. Just, just stop. It's like, my wife here? No, okay. Who hasn't done that? And he says to them, hold on. I'm not done. I'm saying whoever does that, 
Whoever plays the scenario out in their mind has all, is in the same judgment as if they had committed adultery. The same judgment applies if you've committed adultery in your heart. And he starts making sin, which we saw at the beginning was that nice little word on the screen. He starts making it huge. Like, Jesus, I thought you loved everyone. Why are you, like, making this so difficult? See, he didn't come and say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to dumb it down for you a little bit. You know, you, you guys, you're not, you, you know, you're, you're like 15. You know, of course you don't know better. You know, it's okay. You know, you did all that stuff. It's okay. He, he doesn't. He, he builds this, this case where, you know, they thought that they had a little bit of righteousness. He just slaughters all of that. When they thought they had a little bit of sin, he magnifies it huge. He goes on. He talks about divorce, and he talks about how you treat your enemies, and he talks about a whole bunch of, um, uh, of other things, of um, uh, revenge and all of this stuff to the point where everyone listening to him is like, we're doomed. We're doomed. If that's what the standard is, we are toast. Yes, Jesus, we have sinned, and you're not fun to hang out with anymore. We want to leave. And he says, hold on, because that's not the end of the story. See, the, the part is, it, it's a big part of the story. And a lot of times, if we don't realize it, our faith, our foundation, where we start with following Jesus, gets all messed up because we don't realize that part. So what, um, the, the, the reason that we don't like to acknowledge that and say, I'm a sinner or I've sinned, is that we think that by acknowledging sin, it leads to condemnation. That's a big word, but it basically looks like that. All the fingers pointing at you, 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 you. And we think, you know, one of those hands, or maybe all of them are God's. Like, you dirty little boy, you rotten little girl. You, and it's this idea, and we're like, oh, it's just a mistake. We don't like it. But see, what Jesus said about this is completely different. If you think about it, John chapter 3, verse 17, almost got to be the most famous verse in the Bible. It was just one verse too late. You know, John chapter 3, 16 stole it, right? And you all know that. But you know what John 3, 17 says? John chapter 3, verse 17 says um, that he says, Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I did not come to condemn the world. I did not come to condemn sinners, but I came um, to, to redeem. I came to restore. I came to, to save that which was lost. In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, he says this to those who are listening. He says, I, and, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about him um, hanging out with Matthew, the tax collector at his house. He says, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of, of a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I didn't come to call the people who thought they were good. I came to call, and the, and the New King James says, I came to call those who know they are sinners to repentance. I came to call and to help those who know that they're sinners. Uh, and here's why, because Jesus knew that sin breaks relationships. See, he didn't, his message wasn't condemnation. Hey, I'm going to make this sin so huge so you all feel condemned. He wanted you to know that sin is huge for this reason. It was sin that broke and separated the relationship originally with the Father, and it's sin that separates relationships uh, on, on this planet as well. Sin... Um, bring separation or brought separation between us and God, and it brings separation between us on this planet. You know, and mistakers, people who think, you know, I'm not really, I'm not a sinner, I just have mistakes. Mistakers try to fix their relationships with this word called sorry. Sorry. The problem with sorry is um, sorry doesn't actually fix anything. Did you know that? You know, my kids... <laughs> 
they fight, and they're like, come, and, and Reese, I'll be like, Reese, what are you, you can't, you can't treat Lincoln like that. Come in here right now. And she said, stomped off to her room, slammed the door. I bring her back. She's, I'm like, you, you know what? We need to make this right. She's like, sorry. And stomps back down the hall and slams the door. I'm like, no, wait a second. You're going to come and you're going to hug. And then she's just like, Meh. And if Finn, like my son Finley, he's two and he just hugs with his head, like just sticks his head out to whoever's hugging. Hugging, he hasn't learned this yet. But, but it's like, there's no, it's, it's, there's, we, as a parent, we can tell when they actually mean it and when they don't, right? We know when sorry is meant and when it's, when it's not. Uh, and, you know, it's like that thing as kids, you think we should have grown out of that, but we don't. As adults, it's like when, you, when your husband does something so stupid and you catch him and you're like, listen, that was stupid. He's like, oh, sorry. You know, okay, are we good now? Can we go on family vacation? Are we like, are we, are we good? Let's just move on. And you're like, no, we're not good. You know, you, uh, you think that you can just say sorry and acknowledge the mistake, but if it's something really dumb, the relationship is breaking down. And we're not just good just because you said the right word of saying sorry. And this is the same idea with God. It's this idea of, you know, if you think you're just a mistaker, you're never going to ask for forgiveness. You won't seek forgiveness. What you'll do is, as a mistake, you'll say, no, ah, you know what, I'll just do better next time. The only way that a relationship, any relationship, can be restored is for the offender to acknowledge and to embrace that there was an offense. The only way for a relationship, any relationship, to be restored is for the offender to acknowledge that there's been an offense. See, sorry can even become like, you know, I'm sorry, but what we really want to hear is the I. I'm sorry. And a lot of times we just push that all together. I'm like, I'm sorry. Okay, I said it. But it's this idea of, I'm sorry. I was wrong. It wasn't a mistake. I did it on purpose. I knew what I was doing, and I still did it. And I know that because of that, I've broken a relationship. And I'm sorry. It would go a whole lot different in a marriage. But that's secondary. Because what we're talking about tonight is this idea of relationship with him. And we think that there's this idea of sin is just this thing that, you know, we got to be good so God doesn't point his finger at us. But that's not what it's about. It's just about this thing of saying, you know what? I got sin and I need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. Jesus knew that the only way people could be restored to relationship with God is if they knew that they needed forgiveness. If they thought they were just mistakers, they would never seek for what they actually needed. So a baby step in restarting your faith, restarting a, a faith with Jesus Christ, is acknowledging that you're a sinner and in need of forgiveness. I talk about that, and again, as the starting point, that basis where you're like, maybe you haven't done that. Maybe you've sat in church a long time, and you've never gotten to the place where you can say those words. Church has been this thing of helping you self-correct, helping you become a better behavior but it was never the point. Jesus knew that you can't be restored as long as you think you're just a mistaker. So this is the last thought. Jesus' message was about restoration. It wasn't about condemnation. And that's why it's amazing grace. That's why it's amazing too, because what Jesus brought was something that the pagan religions didn't have. That was all about you got to earn their approval. It wasn't even what, the, what they had currently there. It was this idea of seeking, just seeking forgiveness owning what our own part was and seeking forgiveness and realizing we needed a Savior, not being about a better person, but seeking forgiveness. And you see it. 
If you read the Bible and you read the stories of Jesus, you see this message. You see this thought of when he would talk to people. He's like, you're a sinner, but I don't condemn you. You know where you see that? The woman, at the, or, or, I mean, the woman who was caught in adultery. And she wasn't caught in the mental act of adultery. She was caught in the real act of adultery. And they brought her to Jesus and they threw her down and said, Jesus, we just caught this woman in adultery. And the law says she's supposed to be stoned. And he says to them, he says, all right, whoever didn't sin, whoever doesn't have any sin in your life, you throw the first stone. And all of them, what did he do? He made them again, the same thought as before, recognize that we all have sin. And because of that, they wouldn't throw the stone. But what does he do at the end? He stops, stoops down by this woman in the dirt, and he says to her, obviously, you know, you've been brought here from the act of, of sin. He doesn't deny it and say, oh, it's okay, you're fine. He says to her, you know what? You're a sinner, but I don't condemn you. Now go and stop sinning. Go and sin no more prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story, and we've heard it many times. He tells a story of this son who just wished his dad was dead and basically said, Dad, I want the inheritance, but you're still alive. Why are you not dead? You can't even picture that, can you? But this is what he's telling the story, and, and he says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I mean, took all the money, and you know, his dad's like, okay, fine. You know what? Go. You want to do that? And so the son goes, and he wasted on prostitutes, and he just he loses all the money. And Jesus is telling a story. It's not real. He's telling a story to these people, and he says, listen, this is, this is a story about God and you. And they all know that the father in the story is God, and that whatever this son has done, that relationship's not fixable. No father there is like, okay, yes, this relationship is going to be fixed. No, they're like, wait till that son gets back. Oh, I can't wait to see what happens to him. But we know how the story goes. The son does come back. And uh, when Jesus puts the words into this story and he puts the words into the mouth of the son, what does he say? When the son comes back, the son says some, some words. He says, father, or he says, he says, you know, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I recognize that the relationship between you and me, it's broken. He says, I he says, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And you know what happens? The son didn't come back and say, hey, dad, <laughs> you know, uh, I made a couple mistakes out there. Uh, turns out I'm not really a good money manager. I'm just not good with money, and I, I need some more. He doesn't say that. He owns it. And you know what else is really interesting? The dad doesn't bring up any of it either. The dad just says, you know what? <laughs> he tells his servants, he's like, throw a party. My boy is back. He was dead. He wasn't dead. He was alive, but the relationship was dead. He says, you know what? You are my son. And he says, you're still my son. And the dad restores the relationship. Why? Because the son recognized and owned that he had committed an offense. The son was like, I've broken the relationship. That sin is mine. And he says that, he says that out. For some, you can't even get to those words of, I sinned against you. It always, you get close, but you're like, yeah, but my past. Yeah, but, you know, the way I was raised. Yeah, but my parents. And, and it never comes to that place of, it's me. I'm the one. I'm the one that needs forgiveness. It's so interesting. The dad heard those words and knew right away and said, you know what? We're restored because that son knew and learned what he needed to learn. You see it with real people too. Peter in the boat when Jesus is with them and he's, he's saying, hey, cast your net over the other side and they pull in all these fish. What does Peter say? He's like, oh, I, am, I am a sinner. And Jesus says to him, yep, and from now on you're going to come fish with me. 
you're going to hang out with me. You're going to spend time with me. The last thought is this. Acknowledging that you're a sinner is not a prerequisite to condemnation. It's a prerequisite to restoration. Acknowledging, because he says this whole idea of starting a foundation of faith isn't starting a foundation of religion. It's this idea of relationship with Jesus Christ. That Yes, I'm a sinner, but I get to do life with you. And it's a starting point. God doesn't want to condemn you. God doesn't want to be separate from you. God doesn't want you separated from him. But we must acknowledge who we are in order for us to become all that he desires for us to be. And you know what Jesus would have said to them? He's like, as soon as you acknowledge it, as soon as you come to those words and say, yeah, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, I will give you what a mistaker never asks for. A mistaker never asks for forgiveness because they're just going to keep doing it and doing it on their own. And what happens? Those kind of people stay in church long enough, they become Pharisees. They become this group over here. accidental Pharisees happen in this way. Because when Jesus said, hey, come follow me, and he says, that's how it starts. He's like, hey, this is, this is what it is. It doesn't end that way. It's not that he looks at you as a sinner for, for, for all time. Because the moment that you acknowledge it, he takes you and says, you know what? That's who you once were, but now you're a new creation. Now you become something else. I'm going to call you a saint. Come follow me. Come stay with me. Stay actively engaged in following Jesus. Don't just go to church. Don't just do something on the weekend. Let's do life together, which is restoration of relationship. So today we're talking about a starting point. Maybe you're sitting here, you've been in church a long time, but you just need to restart your faith. Maybe you're here and you're like, ah, you know what? I don't know what I've believed about anything, but he's saying to you, He's saying to you, you're not a mistaker, but I don't condemn you. I want to bring you back. And I've done something to do that. I've done something to pay for that. And that payment is something we're celebrating tonight. It's called communion. It's this, it's a, it was this, the true story of God sending his son to this planet to do what none of us could do. And that was to live the perfect life. And then to say, you know what, I'll trade that. I will, I will lay down my life for sinners. I will lay down my life for the doomed. I will rescue those who know they need a Savior. I'll do that for you. But you've got to acknowledge that and reach out for forgiveness. And he, he gives that to you. Thank you for your freedom. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for fellowship. Thank you that we can know you, that we can do life with you. As we actively follow you in your direction and lead in our lives, as we live them out for you. Father, I pray that you'd touch the lives around us, our families, our marriages, our friends, that they would see you and see the hope. And may we show your love in the same way that you did. May we look at people and not point fingers of condemnation, but just show them the hope that they can have in you as they reach out to you for forgiveness. They would realize incredible, incredible joy. Thank you, God. Thanks for tonight. Thanks for every person that made it here tonight. Pray your safety over them as they head home uh, to make a difference in their lives this week. It's in your name for your glory we pray. Amen.